When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, the guy who derives far too much pleasure from asking the eternal question, did you pay the one? That's Matt Morgan. Joey, I've always been confused. They say smoking will kill you. They say bacon will kill you. But if you smoke bacon, you cure it. <laughs> that might be the worst one yet, Matt. It's just and never I... made sense. I am absolutely here for it. Well done. Uh, next, the guy who gets exactly the right amount of enjoyment out of telling Matt and looking him dead in the eye, you're darn right I paid the one. That's Dana Roach. Uh, there's a lot going on out there, so I'm just trying to appreciate right now us moving from the heartbeat of spring into summer bloom, because if you don't take time to enjoy it, autumn's veil will be upon you and after the dead of winter. Well played. Well played. It took me... It took me until you said Autumn's Veil to realize that you were going with magic card puns there. All right. All right. That one really snuck up on me. I absolutely love it. Anyway, this is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is a fantastic deck building resource that compiles data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we like to do is give all of that data a little more context. Hey, guys, what's our topic this week? This week, we are going to talk about overshadowed commanders and where we can find them. <laughs> Indeed, we want to talk about some commanders that aren't getting as much love as they, they really, really ought to, and the circumstances surrounding why they maybe didn't get as much love as they deserve. But before we get there, we have to give a huge thank you to the folks at the Command Zone who handle all of the post-production work on the podcast and make it look as awesome as it does. And of course, we've got to thank our awesome sponsors. Yeah, I'd like to thank Card Kingdom and TCG Player. You can find links to both sites beneath any card you bring up on EDH Rec. Uh, card Kingdom has the best buy list out there, which is especially important right now without Magic Fest for you to sell cards off to dealers at. And TCG Player has a broad collection of individual sellers that's nearly immune to any real-world logistical issues that might interfere with shipping. So both our sponsors do a great job putting cards in your hand. We want to thank them. Yeah, I actually just ordered cards from both of those sources using, of course, our, you know, EDH Recast promo code on Card Kingdom and also using the price links for TCG Player. I uh, just ordered cards from uh, for those to build some new stuff. I did get a handful of things from the latest set, like an Ozolith, for example, because uh, I really liked that. And I also got an Obosh because I was building a Graven plus Obosh commander deck. And they arrived very shortly after I ordered them, but they did also arrive just in time for the rules 
to change for companions on me. So that'll be fun. <laughs> Did they put three extra stamps on the envelope to uh, cover the extra cost of that, Joey? <laughs> that is a deep cut, and I love it. Well done. That's my favorite joke of all. <laughs> well, funny thing is, you actually have been playing Obosh, even though you haven't had the real card. Where have you done that? On the stream, EDH Retcast stream. We do stream games every Wednesday, twitch.tv slash EDH Retcast. We just had The Lady Danger. Uh, she came on the stream, had a great time. Also, DJ, Mr. Jumbo Commander, he's coming on this coming week as well. So make sure you tune in for all those awesome games and the even better guests. Yeah, twitch.tv slash EDH Retcast every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Pacific uh Central time, Pacific Standard Time. I know time zones. Uh, but yeah, it's been a lot of fun. We've had some great guests uh, on the podcast, um, and we're looking forward to even more. It's been really awesome to play uh, with the different folks in the Magic community. It's really great. But now, guys, let's get into our subject, those overshadowed commanders. We want to talk about the commanders that just don't get the proper amount of the, the spotlight. They don't get enough time in the spotlight, and they really do deserve it. Because under different circumstances, these commanders really might have gotten more limelight and therefore been more popular. Um, if like there had been different circumstances surrounding their release or, or stuff like that. These are commanders that are really good. We just want to talk about some of our particular favorites um, and some reasons why they get overlooked and then our favorites from within each of those categories. So, uh, Dana, what is the first reason that a commander might get overlooked, overshadowed? Uh, what are some reasons that jump out to you? What's our first category? Um, the first category we'll call Commander Avalanche. And, and that's um, the, the fact that some sets have so many legends in them that we just miss some of the legends and gems hiding within those sets. That's a really easy thing to do. You know, for example, Dominaria fairly recently was, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there was a ton of legends in there, but not just yeah. Dominaria, Theros as well. There's just been a glut of, of legendary commander eligible cards recently. And it's really tough to keep up. Yeah, absolutely. Dominaria, you mentioned it had 44 legendary creatures, if I am recalling the number correctly. Um, and so it just inevitably, like the numbers are going to look different on the commanders within that 44 compared to if that had been a set that only had eight legendary creatures, because players really do only have a limited number of creative capital to spend on any set. It's not like you're going to build four commanders for every new set. For one thing, that's kind of price prohibitive, but also like just creatively, it's a little prohibitive because you tend to want to focus all of your energies on the, the one commander that you've fallen in love with. So when a set comes out that has 44 versus a set that comes out that has eight legends, uh, that does create a, a difference in our mind. And that can cause some of the commanders among the 44, even if they're really, really good, it can cause them to be completely overlooked. Yeah. And one another factor that kind of builds into this is set fatigue too. You know, you talk about how many sets are coming in and product fatigue in general and kind of wallet fatigue to a certain extent. You know, so many sets are coming out. You know, we had Throne of Eldraine. That was a massive set for Commander. There was a ton of very, very powerful cards. So then the next set comes up and it's Theros Beyond Death. Numbers dropped off significantly as far as the amount of decks that we saw. So I think people were maybe a little burnt out. Uh, Siona is the most built card from Theros Beyond Death as far as the legends go. And there's only 557 decks out there. We already have more data on Ikoria right now than we do on Theros Beyond Death because just I think people kind of got a little tired with all the things going on for, with Eldraine that Theros Beyond Death kind of got swept under the rug a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. You just mentioned Siona was the most popular from Theros Beyond Death, 557 decks to her name. But from uh, Throne of Eldraine, there are nine commanders that have more decks than Siona. Like, people are so busy, and, and it's just, it is very much like there's a bunch of really exciting stuff that happened from Throne, but it did just sort of, the whole set overshadowed the following set because all of the creative energy was still being spent on Throne of Eldraine as opposed to the stuff from, uh, from Theros. So yeah, absolutely. It isn't just within a single set, it's totally between them too. 
Well, and, and when you're looking at a set that has a glut of, of commanders as well, it can get kind of difficult sometimes to to pick out those commanders that don't have an easy power level to gauge um, just by looking at the card. And, you know, to use Dominaria again for an example, we mentioned Muldrotha a lot on this show, both because it's a powerful commander and it's very, very popular. You can look at Muldrotha and very clearly see it's a strong card. Oh, it wants me to to do this thing, to play you know things out of my graveyard, get a bunch of value. You can clearly tell that's strong. You can clearly tell what it wants you to do versus something like Tashar, Ancestors Apostle in the same set, who's a strong commander as well, but that power level isn't quite as readily available on the card. And what it wants you to do is relatively obscure too. It wants you to be playing a bunch of kind of low value creatures that are oftentimes commons and uncommons. If you look at the EDH rec list, um, that's really easy to lose that kind of commander in the mix when you've got something is, I don't, I don't know if obvious is the right word, but something like Muldrotha right there staring you in the face that clearly is going to be something people want to build. Yeah, absolutely. And let's get into some actual specific examples now. Dana, you had just mentioned uh, Tashar. It's a great example. Um, how many how many decks does Tashar even have right now? It's the mono white historic get stuff back from your graveyard. I played it um, with Olivia Gobert Hicks and Jeremy Knoll when I was on their stream and um it was it was a really really nasty combo, but I think in all of the combo, uh, the the effect of the actual card just completely <laughs> uh, completely overtook me, and I, I can't quite remember all the details on it. So uh, what's going on for its page right now? It's only five hundred and twenty two decks, which is a I guess not terrible for mono white, which is a color combination people tend to not want to play for power level reasons. Um, Tashar's three and a white f- with for a flying bird cleric. It's a two two, so the, all that's kind of underwhelming. Whenever you cast a historic spell return target creature card with converted mana cost three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. So Tashar decks tend to run you know, relatively cheap to cast things that have an ability oftentimes that is activated upon sacrifice so that you can bring them back to play whenever you cast something else that's historic. Um, it's quite a, an interesting deck. It plays a lot like a mono-white version of Shire Shizo's Caretaker, which is an older mm-hmm. commander from uh, Kamigawa, does a kind of a similar thing in mono-black. But like we said, it's also a commander whose power isn't very apparent when you first read it necessarily, and it doesn't have a bunch of cards where you're when you look at it, you think, oh, I can't wait to play Salvage Scout in that deck. That's not <laughs> a thing people you know think. So it's a really easy one to miss. Yeah. Oh, Tashar. Uh, yeah, that's just it. Tashar is providing a form of card advantage for a mono white, white deck. You bet. If that if that had come out in a set that only had like four legends, or or if that had come out in a precon maybe or something, and it had been given more uh, you know space to breathe, I think its numbers would look totally different. That's not the only mono white commander from Dominaria that jumps out to me. That's been a little, uh, a little overshadowed actually. Um, Ever a Halcyon Witness also strikes me as a commander from Dominaria that didn't get the love that it really deserves. This is a six mana four four with lifelink. You can pay four mana and exchange your life. Life total with Evra's power. So you can have it go from four power to 40 power, and it has lifelink. A buddy of mine has built uh, Evra, and that thing, if it attacks you and it's unblockable, 
with a whisper silk or something like that, you die. You die. Danger. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that's really exciting. That's really really cool. And life gain is an awesome facet of mono white to lean into. Um, and that's I think a really great commander. But it just didn't get enough love. There's only 132 decks for it right now, and that just feels a little low for a, an ability that really is that exciting. Even if mono white has problems in commander or something, that is a really cool ability that can deal a lot of damage if you build it well and protect it well. Like I really like that commander, and it makes me sad to see that it's so low because I think it it could really shine if it was given an opportunity. Well, one commander I think kind of suffers from this effect is Zergo Helm Smasher, actually. So this one, there are a few amount of decks out there that do play Zergo Helm Smasher. And just to read that for everybody, it's the Mardu commander from Cons of Tarkir. Uh, it's two in Mardu colors, so a red, a white, and a black for 7-2 Legendary Orc Warrior with haste, uh, attacks each combat if able, and is indestructible as long as it's your turn. And then whenever a creature is dealt damage by Zergo Helm Smasher this turn and it dies, put a plus one plus one counter on Zergo Helm Smasher. So currently there are 763 decks. That's not as that's a little bit more than I should say uh, a lot of the commanders we are going to talk about today. But one thing that I have noticed, I wonder if you guys have seen the same thing too, is Zergo Helm Smasher when it first came out was all over the place. I mean, all the cons of Tarkir Legends were because it was, I think there were maybe three Mardu commanders before Zergo Helm Smasher came out or just cons of Tarkir in general. So all those wedges got a lot of help when that set came out. So Zergo Helm Smasher was everywhere. Since then, though, the amount of Mardu commanders or just partners that can go into Mardu colors has blown up. So it's not so much that at the time that Zergo was released, there was an avalanche of commanders. But ever since then, since Cons of Tarkir, the amount of Mardu commanders has multiplied so many times over that I think Zergo's kind of got, kind of got pushed back to the back of people's minds because I don't remember the last time I saw a Zergo Helm Smasher deck out in the wild. No, that's a, a really good point. Sometimes commanders can retroactively become overshadowed a little bit as new stuff sort of supplants them. Absolutely. Well, and you know, it's easy to forget as well for, for people that have been playing Commander for a few years. When we started playing, you know, say say roughly when Cons of Tarkir came out, um, and we I think we all roughly came back to the game more or less within a year or so of that. Um, you know, looking back f- something five years in the past seemed like something that was old and, and it was easy to think, wow, that's a, that's a commander from a distant period. <laughs> um, today, that's when Cons of Tarkir is for people that are playing today. It's that far in the past as well. So it's an yeah. easy thing to forget about. Just It's easy for us to lose perspective too as a newer, <laughs> as, as a player who's been playing yeah. for a few years. That's an old card and we forget that because the scale of what's old to us has shifted. Dana, yeah, that was I've, the that was the nicest way that you could have said back in my <laughs> day. <laughs> uh, tell, back tell, in my tell ding the, dang diddly do day. Uh, you know, so talking about Dominaria, you know, that had a bunch of legends in it too. But another set that strikes me as a set that had a whole bunch of legends in it was just Kamigawa. I mean, the Kamigawa block, really. Um, there, there were a bunch of legends in that. So I feel like that's another case study where something's going to be overshadowed from all of those legends. Like they can't really all compete uh, with each other when we go back and look at all of them, even. Like there's so many to choose from that any good ones hiding from among there are going to be overshadowed as well. Dana, I know that you have a, a commander, but we might as well talk about him. Your Reki the History of Kamigawa deck. Um, how many decks does, does he have on the side? It can't be very many. Yeah, there's only 157 Reki decks in the EDH Rec database. Um, it's ranked 456th 
among <laughs> commanders on our list. It's just not very heavily played. And again, it's you know located a few years in the past. There's a lot of commanders from that block to choose from. So there's that whole commander avalanche thing going on. Right. Um, it's monocolored, which I think that makes a difference. I think people tend to immediately see monocolor and be like, yeah, I don't know if I want to deal with that because there are issues that come with playing monocolored decks. There's a lot of reasons people don't play it. Um, you know, even though I play it myself, it wasn't the original mono green deck I had. I had mm -hmm. a Yassan Wanderer Bard deck that I built right when Yassan came out and got bored with how linear it was very quickly. And I'm like, well, I have this land base together and all these, you know, green spells. What other mono green commanders could I build? Well, this will be funny. I'll play a bunch of legends. But I didn't like look at it and think, wow, that's going to be a really good deck. I, I overlooked it myself and just built it because I thought it would be a deck that would be interesting that no one else had around me. Uh, well, it turned out to be a really, really good deck, Dana, because also speaking of our stream, I guess we keep mentioning it. But um, y'all tune into the stream if you want to see Dana play a recce deck and then rebuild his board really easily after three consecutive board wipes. <laughs> That and was he just brushes them off like nothing. <laughs> the most obnoxious thing I've ever done. <laughs> Even the chat was saying, you wouldn't have thought there was a board wipe just last yeah. turn, and all of a sudden Dana has 20 permanents on the battlefield again. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So that's a great example. And I actually also just pulled up some numbers. Um, yeah. Talking about the number of legends from Dominaria uh, was 44 in just the one set. Uh, Saviors of Kamigawa, where Reki actually comes from, it, it had 29 legends in it. So yeah, stuff's going to get overlooked. But also Kamigawa block in total had 103. Oh. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's going to get overshadowed there. When you see a set that has a bunch of legends, dig a little deeper into those because you might find some hidden gems that aren't getting as much uh, room to breathe. And that can uh, really help you find some really awesome commanders. All right. How about we move move on to our next category. It's not just the commander avalanche, but also sometimes commander similitude. When commanders come out that look like pre-established commanders, I think that that can also really impact their numbers. Because when people see them, they consciously or subconsciously will compare them to another commander in their heads. Uh, for the, the big example that comes to my mind is uh, commander 20. 18 or 19, whichever one the Is It Artifacts came in with Sahili the Gifted, that was an Is It Artifacts product that gave us a bunch of new Is It Artifact commanders, which we'd all been really wanting for a while. But just before that, we had just gotten Jorah Weatherlight Captain, who was also an Is It Artifacts commander and who has a bunch of decks to her name, I think at least 1,800 on our site right now. So that kind of supplanted the uh, the desire for the uh, Is It Artifacts a little bit, and then the other Is It Artifacts commanders came out, which was really great. We really liked them. But I guarantee if those had been swapped, then their numbers would be different. If Sahili deck had come up before Joyra was released, Sahili would probably have a lot more decks than Joyra does because that's just the, the way that they does. These inevitably become compared to each other and then attention goes in one direction or another. But basically, you aren't going to unseat Muldrotha very easily if your Sultai commander looks a little bit like Muldrotha. If a new Golgari commander comes out, it's probably not going to unseat Marin very easily. These are just a couple of examples that come to my mind, but what are some examples that come to your guys when it comes to uh, commander similitude and comparing commanders to others that might overshadow one another? Well, well first off, I'm going to push back and say, man, I don't know if Sahili the Gift would be that that many more decks than Joy Weather like Captain because really that thing is busted and busted players like to play <laughs> busted stuff. So I, I I get I agree with you in principle, but ah, Joy Weather like Captain is pretty nuts. But all right, point all right. taken. Um, 
I do have an example though for you is gonna be Kirkesh Onaki Ancient. So Kirkesh is a mono red commander, uh, legendary ogre spirit, two red red for a four three. But the weird thing about it is whenever you activate an ability of an artifact, if it is not a mana ability, you may pay a red mana. And if you do, you copy that ability and you may choose new targets for the ability. That's a pretty impressive mono red artifacts type of ability. I know if you've watched our streams before, um, friend of the podcast, Andrew Cummings, he's smashed all three of us several times with the, his mono red Kirkesh charge counter deck because that makes sense. But I think if Kirkesh would have been around in a different time when there wasn't Duretti or even Felden of the Third Path, two other mono red artifact centric commanders, those took a lot of the spotlight from Kirkesh. And so anybody who was looking to build mono red artifacts, their attention already was probably satiated by those other two commanders. And Kirkesh kind of you know, suffered a little bit in the numbers category because there were already two other commanders competing for that space. Yeah, that's a great example. I really like that. That deck is really nasty. There's a lot that you can do with that, but Duretti looks so much more appealing uh, that, yeah, I can see that's a great overshadow example. Well, another good one is in, in this case, it's from the same block. You have Mina and Den Wildborn in 314 decks compared to Omnath Locus of Rage in 1,400 decks. There's a huge difference there, and those are two commanders in the exact same colors coming from the exact same block that do very, very similar things. Mm. Um, and I happened to have a Mina and Den deck, and I had specifically wanted to play Mina and Den, and I converted an Omnath deck into Mina and Den. Um, but no one's scared of me and Den. And <laughs> right. when you sit down with Omnath, people pay attention. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And and I think that's a, a big thing. Like my gut instinct would tell me looking at those two commanders that Omnath is just objectively more powerful than Mina and Den can be. Um, and I think in your own personal deck building experience with Mina and Den, would you say that that is true? Because I suspect that it's not true. I suspect you've opened up different roads to victory than Omneth necessarily would. And that has made the deck different, but not necessarily inherently less powerful. Or at, at least it's allowed you to be creative in a, a brand new way. Um, like, I, I don't think that the numbers are purely based on whether a commander yeah, is more powerful, basically. That's true. I mean, because Omneth, I think, wants you to do elemental things. Um, that distract you maybe a little bit from the land. Like I wanted a deck that cared about lands or doing land things. And Omnath wants to do elemental stuff to a degree, whereas mm -hmm. Mina and Den let me really focus on the theme I wanted. Um, so you, I think you get a little more synergy there sometimes too. Um, I don't know if Omnath is necessarily objectively stronger, um, but it's definitely scarier, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and also like there's a just a substantial difference in their play styles. Yes. Regard even if one is more powerful than the other, one of them's the enabler and the other one is the payoff, and that right. means that the deck is inherently going to function differently. And so if you're you know too busy you know letting a commander be overshadowed and you don't necessarily give it the time of the day because Omnath is so big and splashy, which is the type of mindset that I get into, then you might miss out on something that can actually be very very rewarding. Mm -hmm. um, there's another commander that jumps to my mind. Uh, that also kind of has a, a bit of competition. Um, the competition that, that pre-exists would be uh, Slimefoot, the adorable fungus who makes sapperlings and then pings other people if you uh, if your sapperlings die. Um, but then Grismold the Dreadsower came out as well. Grismold the Dreadsower is also a three-mana Golgari commander. It's a 3-3 three, three with Trample. At the beginning of your end step, he gives every player a 1-1 one, one green plant token. And whenever a token dies, you put a plus one counter on Grismold the Dreadsower. Both Golgari commanders, both pretty low cost to play. 
both with a really nice payoff when the tokens die. They kind of feel like they maybe occupy the same mental space, but man, those are very different decks. And Grismold, despite only having 355 decks on, our, on the website, I have played against Grismold, and that thing is a truck. That thing hurts a lot because you play it and no one really minds. It's a 3-3. Oh, we've got a couple of plant tokens. Oh, we've each got two plant tokens. Oh, we've each got three plant tokens. Oh, it's no big deal. And then they play one card that gives all creatures minus one, like illness in the ranks. And then suddenly Grismold is attacking you for basically lethal. And that is very, very dangerous indeed. So <laughs> yeah, numbers aren't necessarily indicative of power level. Grismold has hit me a lot. It's really, really good. Even if it occupies a similar mind space, Grismold's what's up. Well, a good example for this whole thing, I, I feel like if you went back through any set review we've ever done, I guarantee at some point someone makes the statement like, X is just a worse version of Y. Uh, about some commander like it's it's a kind of thing that we ourselves often make that mental comparison to as well during during set reviews well I, I think there's also an element to this too of a tribal or a mechanical component like when you see one commander that has that um let, let's use arvad the cursed as an example that is an orzov commander that pumps up your legendary creature so you could play um you know an orzov legendary deck but then there's also Kethis, the Hidden Hand, who is Obzon Legends, which which gives you more to be able to do. Or if you think of, uh, so there are plenty of dragon commanders out there that also have dragon. Lastless, for example, comes to my mind, the mono red uh, dragon commander. But there's also kind of a, a component in, in in my head, at least, of like, well, why play that when I could play the Ur Dragon and get Lathless into the ninety nine instead? Why play uh, Bladewing the Risen as a dragon tribal deck when I could have, um, you know, the Ur Dragon instead, and it can go into the ninety nine there too. So I feel like that's a way that commanders also get over. Overshadowed. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely some sense of why would you play only Reki when you could play Kethis and have white and black in your deck and have those extra cards available and increase your card pool. Same with, I mean, if there's a million legendary goblins for all the goblin decks, and if there was only one of them, you can bet that that would be a very, very popular commander, but instead you have as many legendary goblins as you do goblins out there right. in the wild, which is a ton. So... Uh, yeah, definitely sharing the spotlight with other commanders doing almost the exact same thing definitely is a factor. Well, and, and Kethis was the centerpiece of a strong standard deck at the time. That also raises it in the consciousness in terms of legendary commanders. If you want to build that, you're going to maybe default to Kethis as well, and the other ones get overshadowed because, well, that was a strong standard deck. So even if you don't maybe already have those pieces from playing it in standard, you're aware it exists and kind of that makes it stand out in your brain. Yeah, absolutely. All right, there's one more type of overshadowing that can happen to commanders that we want to address. But before we get there, we have to do our classic segment, challenging the stats. There's a bunch of data here on EDHREC, but we don't always agree with it. Sometimes we think that cards are seeing too much play. Sometimes they're seeing too little play. So what we'd like to do is challenge those statistics. Dana, do you mind starting us off with this week's challenge the stats? I certainly can. Uh, my entry this week is Unified Will. It is a instant speed spell, a counter spell to be exact, from Rise of the Eldrazi. It costs one and a blue and says counter target spell if you control more creatures than that spell's controller. So where I am going to challenge the stats here is in basically any three-color deck that makes tokens and obviously has blue. The first one that jumps out at me is Alela Artful Provocateur. Uh, Unified Will's only in two of 2,400 Alela decks. But you could extrapolate that out to, you know, the new Akam the Soaring Wind or Kaikar Wind's Fury. Those are three-color commanders that are blue and make tokens. So you're almost always going to have more bodies in the field than anybody else. But 
What's really important here is it only has one blue mana in the casting cost, and in a three-color deck, it gets really, really difficult to leave two blue mana up sometimes for a hard counter. So this effectively is going to give you a hard counter most of the time for only one single blue pip. I don't know, Dana. That one makes me nervous. I've seen a lot of green token players out there who have a lot of creatures to offer, so that that does make me a little uneasy about that one. I do like it in Kaikar, actually, because since Kaikar makes a token upon casting Unified Will and then Unified Will then checks afterwards, I think that's a really nifty way to catch some people off guard. And yes, it can be foiled, too, if somebody, you know, kills a couple of your creatures in response. There's a little bit up in the air, but I do think that more than two players out there playing Alila should be playing Unified Will. I also tend to think, and this isn't, of course, always true, but it's one of those situations where if you are playing in a deck that tends to make a bunch of tokens and you are not in a board state position to win that that count off to see who has the most creatures maybe a countering a spell isn't going to be the thing that saves you. You're probably already doing so poorly that it doesn't really matter. Um, I run this in my Edric Master Atress deck, for example. If I don't have more creatures than somebody else in Edric, I'm losing anyway. Sure. So like there's the, the counter spell becomes irrelevant at that point in time. I just think there's, there's a lot of situations where that's true in some of these decks. That's a, no, that's actually a really great point. The application of when you intend to use those counter spells. If I'm playing a negate or a stubborn denial, for example, those are tend to be like a stubborn denial is a, a, one of my favorite counter spells because the times that I want to counter a spell are usually to protect my commander that has more than four power in play. Uh, so that becomes a really great option. So the application, like the the pattern of when you would tend to use that spell, that's a really great point to make about that one. So all right, I think I think you've probably convinced me. That's a, that's a good point to make. Matt, how about your challenge? So my challenge this week comes to us from Rachel Weeks at Rachel Reeks. I think I said that right. It's so confusing. She's Her wordplay is very, very up there. Uh, but anyway, Rachel Weeks uh, hosted the Command Sphere podcast. She came on our stream a couple weeks ago. It was a very fun time getting to hang out with her. She tweeted out a certain interaction that I am a big fan of, and currently these two cards are not showing up on each other's pages at all. So we're going to talk first about Spring Bloom Druid. It is two and a green for a 1-1 Elf Druid, and it's basically a harrow on a stick. When Spring Bloom Druid enters the battlefield, you may sacrifice a land. If you do, search your library for up to two basic land cards, put them on the battlefield tapped, and shuffle your library. So the card that I think should be getting paired with this, especially in Selesnya decks, is going to be Flagstones of Trocare, which is a legendary land. You can tap it to add a white, but the important part with Spring Bloom Druid is that when Flagstones of Trocare is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, you may search your library for a Plains card, put on the battlefield tapped, and then shuffle your library. So this nifty little interaction actually nets you two lands instead of one because Flagstones of Trocare does replace itself. It's not being played together as far as we can tell on either of the, each other's pages. And I think this little one-two punch is going to be very, very nice to make sure that you are getting ahead by playing your three-mana ramp spell. Yeah, I really like that. And I think Rachel specifically said, she's like, it's not like going to be blow out of the world and it's the criminal that is uh, not underplayed or whatever. She's like, hey, if you can make this happen, that's really sweet. And those little interactions totally add up. So a great pick, Matt and Rachel. Well, on behalf of Rachel and myself, then um, thank you, Joey. All right, Joey. So, so Matt and I both had some fantastic challenge of stats here. Uh, so let's see if you can live up to what we just did. What do you have for us? 
I don't know that I would call yours fantastic, Dana. If we're making this a competition, this is going to blow your mind. Uh, so I'm going to be talking about the card Thunder Totem. This is a three mana artifact from Time Spiral that taps to add a white to your mana pool. Just a simple mana rock, not really too exciting, uh, except that it has the ability to pay three mana, that's one and two white mana, uh, and Thunder Totem becomes a 2-2 white spirit artifact creature with flying and first strike until end of turn. This only shows up in about 235 decks, and I'm not going to say that this is broadly applicable and it should go in a whole bunch of places. That ability, you may not use it all that often, but a place that you could use it is in the deck Audric Lunark Marshall, the four mana 3-3 human soldier who says at the beginning of each combat, creatures you control gain first strike until end of turn if one of your creatures has first strike. And the same is true for insert all of the keywords here. So in the event that you need first strike and flying, Thunder Totem as a mana rock can just be helping your deck chug along, but then also can become a creature to hand out some keywords to all of your creatures. This only shows up in 12 of the Audric decks so far. That's 2.79% of his <laughs> applicability. I feel like it should be played in a lot more than just barely 3% of Audric decks because this is a nifty little interaction that can uh, really help you out if you need an extra body or you need some extra keywords. Um, it's just a, a really cool thing that I hope has uh, blown your mind, Dana. <laughs> Um, I was not expecting that to be your call, but it makes a lot of sense in Audric for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't think you should be playing Thunder Totem. You should just spend the $120 and get Thunder Spirit, right. <laughs> which is just the one white white for the 2-2 first strike and flyer. That's that's how the high rollers do it, Joey. So wow. that's where I think you should be putting, put, put your money where your mouth is, basically. Wow. Um, <laughs> how about... No. Although <laughs> that does kind of uh, lead into, you just mentioned a card that is not a thing that's on my mind very often. You just mentioned a card that is probably hard to find. And that is our final section of commanders and how they can be overshadowed is the fact that those commanders might just be obscure. They might just be difficult to locate. You might not have heard of them before, or they might be prohibitively pricey like a thunder totem. Um, so yeah, that's a, the last way that we want to talk about how commanders can become overshadowed is just if they are obscure or hard to find. Um, what are some examples of commanders that you guys feel have been overshadowed uh, as a result of that particular category? I mean, we can probably just make a blanket statement right now. Anything before Mercadian Masks, <laughs> when they really didn't know what they were doing as far as Legends, that's probably a, a very broad category I know. So I'll use something specific. I think Aiden Oakenshield, it's the Jun Commander, so it's just a green, a red, and a black for a 1-2, but you can pay Jun Colors and tap it to uh, basically grab a creature out of your graveyard, put it into your hand. Any of those old, old Legends-era legendary creatures probably aren't going to be heard of because like we said if if cons of tarkir is back in the day for the kids these days um, legends definitely is um, so stuff like angus mckenzie even which is a very very expensive commander i mean people just don't play because a it's very expensive so you're not going to see it very often but it's also very old so you're not going to see it because of that factor as well um stuff like aces and tamar i believe that's a, that's the legend, the Naya one that makes a lot of tokens in the sand people. Uh, they walk in single file to hide their numbers, but then really they're all over the battlefield. It's a Star Wars reference. This train well has gone off, but basically my point is any commanders that are just very, very old and, and prohibitively pricey. I mean, reserve list, I know it's kind of an easy scapegoat to talk about, but you know, Aiden Oakenshield isn't that great of a commander, but it's also $60 at the same time, which is just outrageous yeah or a, a pricey one that is also very obscure that comes to my mind this isn't in the realm of the commanders you were just talking about um but sun Quan, lord of Wu, is a six mana four four commander from portal 
I th- Portal Three Kingdoms. It's it, what it does. Yeah. It, it gives all of your creatures horsemanship. Which, if you don't know what horsemanship is, that's because that's the level of obscurity that we're talking about here. It basically makes all of your stuff unblockable. This thing also happens to be nearly twelve dollars, and I've kind of always been interested in it. But I'm like, I don't want to pay twelve dollars for the commander. I mean, come on. Um, like, if it was a bit more budget friendly, that might be an option. But the combined fact of it being obscure, not very well known, and also being pricey does put even one barrier in the way of its popularity, and that makes it overshadowed. There's only 61 Sun Quan decks right now, and that kind of adds up given, you know, how difficult it was for me even to find that card in the first place, and the fact that it's a little bit outside of the price range that I'd be comfortable building that deck. Um, so, yeah, that's a, definitely a great option. Dana, what other uh, what other commanders come to mind for you about their obscurity getting in the way of their popularity? Well, uh, obscurity doesn't even necessarily have to do with the age of the commander. Um, you know, in the last couple of years, we've started getting um, buy a box promos that are cards that are only available via the buy box promo. We had Rien, Angel of Rebirth, uh, Athreos, the Shroud Veiled recently in Theros. Um, those are both very interesting commanders, but if you didn't buy a box of those cards or then just buy a single online or something, like you didn't accidentally crack those in a pack and, and see the card and go, oh, that's kind of cool, I want to build a deck. You have to specifically either buy a box or seek those out, and that makes those commanders kind of easy to miss over and easy to forget they exist in the first place. Um, Athreos, I'll, I'll mention this because I just built an Athreos deck too. You oh. know, we in the past have talked about cards when we do a set review. Okay, this is kind of a neat commander, but it's, you know, five mana, six mana, seven mana, whatever, and it doesn't do anything till next turn. Um, that's a complaint we we commonly voice about, about cards that take so long to get a payoff. Athreos kind of works around that. It does its ability at the end of turn, so you can cast that six-mana commander, have it do its second end of turn, and be ready to already do some work for you. Additionally, it triggers when a creature's exiled, not just when it dies, something we've also talked about in the past with things like Alend of the Dusk Rose. So there's a couple fixes on that card for things we've mentioned in the past as being issues when we reviewed different sets, but because the card was a buy a box promo, I had forgotten both of those things about it, (laughs) despite being things I'm sure I've complained about in the past. Um, So it's a really, really easy thing to miss by virtue of the card just being obscure. Yeah, well, and here, let's go back to Rien for a second. There are a bunch of Naya commanders, but Rien is um, 11th on that list. (laughs) Very overshadowed. Even just looking at our own page here on EDHREX, she's just way, way down the list because she's not going to be opened in just a random booster pack. So that does obscure her numbers, even though she can be very interesting. She can get you back your multicolored creatures. There's a lot that you can do with that. It's a very original design, but yeah, hard to find, hard to acquire. Therefore, not very popular, even despite its power level, even despite its excitingness or, or whatever, like that can definitely get in the way. Well, it's an interesting phenomenon. We've talked about Meriwetherlight Duelist. Where you find the commanders probably influences it as much as how often you discover those commanders. Mm-hmm. You know, if you open a pack, you know, you go to Walmart, somebody opens it and they find a legend. Oh, I'm going to build a deck around this. But if you never see that because you only buy your packs at Walmart, you, you've never heard of a LGS, whatever that means. <laughs> you may not have ever heard of any of these buy box cards because you've never been to a game store. You just you've heard about commander a little bit. You, you know, buy your packs at Walmart and that's how you discover your cards. So, yeah, if you can only discover cards a certain way, that definitely limits the amount of, of people that are getting their eyes 
on these commanders. Yeah, and and they just they deserve to be in the spotlight a little bit more. Dana, I'm glad that you're building uh, an Athreos deck and that you're giving it a little bit more love because it definitely deserves it. It definitely does. Um, I think Dana should only build buy a box promo decks from now on. Actually, <laughs> that'd be the most painful thing for him to ever do. That's funny. Uh, there, there's a, we've talked about price or location, but also like we should shout out just commanders that are like we mentioned, not just old and expensive, but also just you know, really, really old and really hard to find, even to the point that they don't even necessarily look like legendary creatures. Because, Dana, you built a new deck, but I have also built a new deck that I got to play uh, against you guys on stream. We keep on mentioning our stream, guys. If, if, <laughs> I don't know. It's just kind of funny. saying, but... yeah, people should just tune in so that we don't have to talk about it and plug <laughs> it all go. the time. Because <laughs> yeah. if, if you just go to twitch.tv slash EDHRecCast oh, no. any given Wednesday evening, <laughs> I'm sorry. it might just happen to, to, to catch some pretty silly games. Anyway, my point is, I've just <laughs> built a new deck, um, and the commander, I had to double check that it was actually properly legend, because it says summon legend on it, not legendary creature. This is Martin Stromgold, a four mana 1-1, one, one, and it has a lot of very tiny text. It comes from Ice Age, and here's the kicker, there's only like 19 decks for this commander. It's basically a version of shared animosity, but in your command zone. Whenever it attacks and a bunch of other creatures attacks, each of your other attacking creatures get plus X plus X for each of those other attacking creatures. So you attack with it and then five other creatures, each of those other creatures gets plus five plus five. It's really, really interesting. I built a whole bunch of mono red tokens to then have a big pump out and then attack everybody. I actually really, really like this, but I didn't even know it existed let alone that it was actually a proper commander for a very, very long time. And that's got to be why it's only got 19 decks on the website, because, I mean, it, it's weird, but it's also just, how do you find that thing unless you're, you know, an, an archaeologist or something like that? Well, and it's a commander that also probably suffers from the um, the, the example of commander's similitude, um, because it tears up, cares about tokens and things like that. It's very easy to look at the deck and in put it together and then think, well, I could just build Cranko because so many tokens and red tend to be goblins anyway. So it, it also tends to get overshadowed, I think. Yeah. That, that's what the, the podcast is about. It's about those overshadowed. <laughs> yeah. Bringing it full circle, Dana. I love it. Um, I, I guess I just want to ask if there are any other uh, final observations that you guys have about those. Maybe that we didn't cover in those three different categories. You know, there are commanders that can become overshadowed because there are just so many commanders and they don't have enough room to breathe. There are commanders that are obscure and difficult to find. And there are commanders that maybe are very similar to other stuff and therefore competing in that particular design space. But are there any other final notes that you guys have about commanders being overshadowed? Maybe um, how to recognize that, how to avoid it, tips or strategies to use, or any other uh, final observations about ways that commanders become overshadowed and, and ways that we can bring them into the proper limelight. I, I think it's a really easy thing to do with new sets, especially, um, at least for me, I guess maybe this isn't a problem other people have, but it's very easy to to get locked in on that first pass opinion of a card. So you see the mm -hmm. commander, you lock in on, it's a worse version of X, um, and then move on and you have to kind of force yourself to go back and reevaluate it. So I would just say, try to be aware that that's, that's a tendency some people have. I have that tendency sometimes. So it, it's something I actively work to fight against. Yeah, no, I love yeah. that. I mean, just circling back to sets that came out a couple of years ago is always just a, a mm -hmm. it's almost a weird little like walk down memory lane and you remind yourself of so many cards out there, especially for stuff 
like Dragons of Tarkir, for example, I, I did this recently. Uh, Dragons of Tarkir, the most built commander from Dragons of Tarkir is Dragonlord Ojutai. Most people probably remember it. But the number is only 296 total decks, and that is the most built commander. But when you think about it, that was when kind of that the product fatigue that people talk about, where there were so many sets and so many things just coming out all at once, was probably at kind of the peak right there, or when it first started to come to it as we know it today. Because when you think about it, there were, you know, there was Cons of Tarkir, there was Fate Reforged, but then also there was Commander 2014, and then right after Dragons of Tarkir was Modern Masters 2015. So in that probably six-month period, there were two three-color sets that were very, very popular. You, you look at any of the legends from Cons of Tarkir and Fate Reforged, those were hugely popular. So you come to Dragons of Tarkir, and next to no decks were built, um, and that's been over the course of several years. So... I think this is one of those types of sets that just got crowded out by so many things coming out that you do need to revisit stuff like that to make sure you aren't missing cards that are accidentally just very, very good that maybe the numbers kind of got crowded out because there were so many sets coming out all at once, kind of like we talked about with Throne of Eldraine. Theros Beyond Death kind of got overlooked a little bit because people just had to juggle so many different things going on that we kind of forgot about the set, much alone the commanders. Right. And, and Theros Beyond Death, I think around that time was also the mystery booster product that came out around yeah. too. So again, yeah. it was a whole bunch of stuff, a lot of wallet fatigue. And man, I think it's a shame that Dragonlord Ojutai has, has so few decks and that got maybe a little overshadowed by some of the other products because Dragonlord Ojutai is my mom's deck and it crushes. It's really, really good. That's a great commander. Also overshadowed, even if it is the most popular commander from that set, all of the other stuff that surrounded it didn't give it as much room to breathe as it deserves, which is, I don't know, a little bit sad. I, I think another note that I kind of want to mentioned, I had been prepared coming into an, um, you know this, this episode topic to sort of talk about how precon commanders almost always overshadow, the, the face commander of the product overshadows the secondary and the tertiary commanders, which was a pattern that we saw very, very consistently all the way through 2016. Um, but then, well, I guess Nikusar was an exception to that. Nikusar did outpace Jaleva Nefalizu. Okay, so there was an exception that proved the rule, maybe. <laughs> uh, but it is, like, that has become a lot more common, is basically the thing. Like, ever since, um, you know, like, Yuriko Tiger Shadow, for example, that really quickly outpaced all of the other face commanders from that set. And if you look at uh, Commander 2020 right now, I think it's uh, Zaxara is the most popular commander, as opposed to Otrimi, which was the face commander. Um, there's a whole lot of examples of that. Zyrus, the Writhing Storm, is also showing up more popular than Kalamex, I believe, although I think that might be by a slim margin. Um, but that seems to be a habit that we've kind of outpaced, especially in Commander 2019, for example. Sivin, the Chronoclasm, significantly less popular than Elsha of the Infinite. Um, and that's true for a, a couple of commanders throughout those different products. So like I had been expecting that that was a trend that we would see for a very, very long time because the face commander can be so appealing to those products. But the secondary and the tertiary commanders in those products are getting a lot of love too. And they're fighting against, you know, the tendency for them to be overshadowed. And I just think that's really nice to see. Well, and one factor too, that just thinking about it, I think several commanders, especially from this recent um, past set or two, are just kind of victim of the times, um, just with everything going on in the world, with being locked down and everybody's playing over webcam. I think a lot of commanders are kind of being discouraged. You know, uh, Paco and Haldan probably are not very popular right now because they interact with other people's boards and their libraries. So a lot of those things you can't really be doing right now. And I think people are kind of shying away from that. And so the numbers now are lacking, which might actually impact their long-term health because people were so discouraged at the beginning when the when those commanders first came out, they're not playing them down the road because they just thought, oh, well, they're just not that popular. That's something that I'm curious to see what the long-term, just with everything kind of going on with everybody playing remote these days, 
it's in, I, I would be interested to see what happens long term with a lot of commanders like Gonti and if those start to see a rise again after everybody stops playing over webcam and gets to playing in person again in the future. Well, even if we do get to playing in person again, if I shouldn't say if, even when we get to playing in person when, again, yeah. uh, I still want to keep playing webcam because I'm going to plug yep. our stream again. Uh, no, okay. There's, um, <laughs> there's there's one more point that I do want to make talking about long term. Um, near the end of this year, we'll be having Commander Legends. And I think they've promised like 70 or 80 legend, legendary permanents or legendary creatures. I'm not quite sure. Um, but there's going to be a lot of commanders in that set too. And there's another example of the Dominaria or the Kamigawa where there's so many legends. Inevitably, stuff is going to be overlooked there. So, you know, make sure that you're sifting through when that set comes out. There's going to be a bunch of really big splashy, tough, splashy stuff that that takes up all our attention, but sift through those gems too, because I bet that there are a lot of commanders from that set that would probably shine if they came out in a set that only had like eight legendary creatures. I keep using that example, but I, I expect that there will be a lot in that particular set. So that's just another example. In the future, this will probably happen. We'll see some commanders that are overshadowed, but give them the time of day, because a lot of these can be really, really powerful. They're totally worth it. Anyway, with that, I do think that we need to call this episode to a close. I'd like to thank you guys so much for joining me. And hey, if our listeners want to get in touch with us, where can they find you all? Matt? So you can find me on the Twitter at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And you can find us, like we said, 18 times this episode uh, on twitch.tv slash EDH RecCast Wednesday nights, streaming games with some pretty awesome guests, just other massive pillars of the community. Yeah, this week it is going to be a DJ from Jumbo Commander. Um, so we're really looking forward to that. Definitely tune in. And hey, Dana, where can folks find you? You can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach. Uh, you can... Find me on uh, the EDH Recast stream in case you didn't miss that. Um, in case we didn't where where that can enough. they find that, Dana? Yeah. <laughs> Twitch TV slash EDH Recast. Um, and you can hear me on my other podcast, CMDR Central. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. Uh, you can find the cast at EDH Recast on Facebook and Twitter. And if you have a question or an insight to our data, you can contact us at EDH Recast at gmail.com. And apparently you can find us at twitch.tv slash EDH Recast. Uh, our thanks again to Josh LaCroix and the folks at the Command Zone for all... Uh, handling all of the post-production work on the podcast, making it look as awesome as it does. And of course, to our sponsors, TCG Player and Card Kingdom. You can find them using the price info links on EDHREC or by visiting cardkingdom.com slash EDHREC to show your support for the show. Listeners, we would love to know about the commanders that you think are overshadowed. Give those commanders a little bit more love. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. <laughs> <laughs>